Hello, and welcome to Me Too. Thank you for listening. My name is Gabi Martinez-Maude, and this is episode two. This week on the episode, we have Duke University senior Sonali Biswas performing the monologue, Things Men and Boys Have Said to Me. After we hear the piece, I will be sitting down with Sam Myers, who serves as the current theatrical director for the Me Too Monologues show, as well as with Sonali, who serves as one of the co-executive producers. Together, we will discuss the piece, learn about the We Are Here Duke initiative, and talk about what our experiences have been like as women on Duke's campus. We want to note that Me Too Monologues is not affiliated with the Me Too hashtag mentioned in the dialogue. And before we hear Sonali, we want to give a trigger warning for this episode, as the monologue contains content about sexual assault and harassment. Now, here's Sonali performing Things Men and Boys Have Said to Me. I'm 10 years old, and he says, I want you. He follows me home from school a couple of times. He dry humps me against a desk while his friends laugh in the background, and everyone tells me he's just a fourth grader, like you. Everyone tells me, how cute. My older cousin ends up holding him up to a wall by his neck and telling him to stay away from me. He says, was that your boyfriend trying to scare me? He says, are you scared of me? I'm 14, and he says, what do you think about us having sex? He says, I don't think 14 is too young. He says, I think you should send me a nude. I'm 15, and he says, you're so wet. He says, bend over, behind a shed, in someone's fucking backyard, while my mother is calling me on the phone to make sure I'm all right. He says, what? Are you scared of not being a virgin anymore? Are you scared of being a hoe? He says, let me in. Let him in to the fucking bathroom stall that I was in, changing into my swimsuit. He says, just put your mouth on it. He says, I'm so sorry, he says, but you're so fucking wet. He says, I hate being horny. He says, you can't just talk to me all sexy and then not follow through. He says, that's teasing. He says, that's not nice. He says, we need to talk about what you did. I'm 16, and he says, if we're not having sex, then there's no point to us talking. He says, I thought we were friends with benefits. Even though I told him I fucking loved him, he says, come over for a rubdown. He says, wear something provocative. My heart accelerates. What the fuck does he want me to provoke? I'm 17, and he says, I remember when you were so small and innocent. He says, but now you're a grown broad with huge tits. And my mother says, she says, there's a man in this house, cover up. She says, men can't help how they feel. And he says, that's what you get for being so friendly with the boy next door. He says, stop leading him on and he'll leave you alone. Stop wearing short shorts around him. Except I've changed my phone number twice in a month and my friends walk me home every evening and I don't even make eye contact with him. He says, what a geek. That's not how you get girls. He says, you're being kind of cruel. He just wants to be your friend. And I'm thinking, how the fuck can I be hard enough and soft enough at the same time? How can I be scared enough and rational enough to be telling the truth? I'm 18, and they say, sexual assault takes many forms. They say, here are the four forms of violence that women face. 
and all four strike me like a well-intended touch on a wound that's a little deeper than it looks. And they say, here's how to make consent sexy. Like they're trying to tell kids that eating broccoli is cool. Or, and those that need to hear it, won't. Or the only part they'll hear is, get consent or you'll get in trouble. And those who know it far too well will leave the auditorium sobbing. I'm 18, and I say, hey, I think I've been wronged. I say, things have happened to me. I say, like a child who's been bit by a dog, I now fear all dogs. You say, well, that's just not fair. You say, you know, I would never do that. You say, I mean, statistically speaking. You say, poor guy, I can imagine how much of a tease you can be. You say, not all men. And I'm sorry this happened to you, but anger won't solve anything. Solve anything? I'm just trying to sort through this shit. Now, I'd like to welcome Sam and Sonali to the show. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves before we talk about the piece? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Sam Myers. I am the director for this year's Me Too Monologue show, 2018. Um, I've acted before in the show. I actually acted in the show that this monologue is from um, with Sonali. Uh, I'm a senior. I'm studying psychology and theater. And my name is Sonali Biswas. Um, I, so I also performed with Sam back in 2016, and now I'm co-executive producer for Me Too 2018, which is really exciting. Uh, I'm studying biology, and I'm minoring in neuroscience and Spanish, and I'm on the pre-medicine track. Great. Awesome, guys. Well, welcome. And before we talk about the piece, Sam, could you share a little bit about um, We Are Here Duke? Yeah. So um, We Are Here Duke is a gender violence prevention club that I started a couple years ago. It um, came sort of out of this initiative that began because of a class. It's called Stories for Social Change. It's a um, theater research pub hall class um, with two instructors, and it covers gender violence as it relates to Duke campus and also Durham as a community. Um, we do lots of reading, and we talk to a lot of survivors and sane nurses, and part of the class is to come up with an intervention to put, put in place on Duke's campus, and there was so much momentum that a group of us from the class decided we wanted to make some, something a little more solid on campus, so we started We Are Here, and it's just sort of working as an advocacy group for survivors and a group that can be a little bit more active than just, um, than just education. Amazing. Wow, that's is incredible and we'll make sure to link to the pages and stuff um, and the information for the monologue. Thank you. Um, so now I would love to hear both of your reactions to the piece. Sure. I remember hearing the piece for the first time when we first performed it and I think it's definitely one of the most one of the more uh, emotionally unsettling pieces that we have sort of in our repertoire. Um, it's one that I still remember really clearly even though it was performed two years ago and I guess in general, it's about a girl talking about uh, all of these experiences that she's had with uh, these microaggressions doesn't seem like the right word because they seem like they're outright, very obvious um, sexual experiences with sexual harassment and abuse and how she didn't really realize how terrible they were until she got to college and started hearing these definitions of what 
what violence um, actually is. And she's starting to realize how many of these things that society is generally okay with actually do apply to her and how we're okay with some really terrible things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, really powerful piece. It was powerful every time we heard it, and we had to hear it many, many times. And it's still, like, every single time I heard it, there was something new that was eerily either familiar to me in a way. Um, what's crazy is that it isn't... It's hard to listen to, and it's a little startling, but it isn't very surprising, I think, to women, especially in the cast and um, to Kayser, who performed it herself. I remember her saying that she, these are, these would maybe be hyperboles of what she's experienced, but they're not so dissimilar that she doesn't understand how somebody could have brushed them aside as hassles before realizing what they actually were, before being introduced to the labels. Um, And that says something really interesting about how powerful labels can be and how powerful um, it is to to be told and to realize and to learn that something qualifies as assault because that is validating in some way. What really strikes me from this piece is um, the tone of voice that, that the writer gave to the men and the boys. It's very commanding. It's really... It puts the writer, who is the most active character in the performance, in the most passive role. She's just the receiver for all of this information, for all of these um, commands, all these things that she has to do. And her body is like, it's just, it exists solely for um, whatever the boy or the man has in mind in that in that moment. Which is, it's a really hard place, I think, to repetitively put someone as a receipt to keep somebody receiving throughout the entire piece pretty much up until the end she doesn't have agency and that's really scary and I think demonstrates the way that women can feel that sort of trapped in this passive sub- submissive role um, that you don't even fully want to take seriously or can take seriously because the world around you kind of doesn't and it's easy to really go through I mean she went through almost half her life thinking that that was an oath those were just terrible experiences but not not knowing how to label them or that she that she deserved protection from them really or just in general the fact that she didn't realize that she wasn't alone in those experiences that Mm -hmm. she felt that she was this individual going through this and this was her life but that there wasn't a more general experience of the woman around the world who are going through the same thing mm-hmm. um, and so I think it would be relevant to mention the Me Too hashtag that went viral last October um, that demonstrated the wide prevalence of sexual assault and harassment especially in the workplace but after listening to this monologue I think we can all agree that this type of situation and harassment doesn't just exist in the workplace but for us women who live in a college campus and haven't even entered that experience yet um, how do you guys <coughs> relate to this experience or think about it in terms of the Duke campus? I think one thing that's interesting is every time we perform this monologue, there would be you know monologues where you could visibly see members of the audience tune out. And this was one monologue where you saw everyone's heads just sort of snap back up because I think most women could identify, and I don't want to generalize, but I think it's just a common thing that we accept. It's something we make a joke out of. Uh, the phrase like send nudes is something that people say commonly um, that people rarely think of in the context of being so demanding and so demeaning for a lot of women. So 
the aspects that I think are relatable of this monologue are just a lot of the those sort of statements. So send nudes or the part where he's guilting her for feeling attracted to him, but then not, you know, providing him with everything that he wants. A lot of those sentiments, I think, are extremely relatable for um, a lot of the people who just oh, listen, to, listen to the monologue. Yeah, and something really powerful about the Me Too movement, and and it's sort of what Me Too monologues basically started as is a is a medium through which we could show solidarity. And I think like the most powerful thing about the hashtag Me Too was the sheer number of women who supported each other and came forward and spoke up, and even those who couldn't speak up for a number of reasons because there are many, many, many survivors on this campus and in the world that do not have the privilege to share what happened to them. Um, even for them to to maybe know that there are enough women that are paying attention and that are calling people out for it. And the solidarity was very powerful. The consequences of it were even more powerful. Um, but I think Me Too as a show is about that solidarity and like when people snap along or stomp or respond to the pieces like that's them supporting this experience and validating it in so so many ways and it comes without judgment or filter because we don't know who wrote it so you so you really only get the story you're not validating the writer because you know who they are because they're a friend because they're the person you're in a relationship with um because they're your classmate you're validating them because you hear their story and you you think that it's important and you know that it's important. Um, so me, I think Me Too is it's very similar in a lot of ways, other, other than just the name. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and this, this whole piece got a, got a lot of snaps, which was scary, but also really important. And also, I think it's important to mention that this, was, this show was a couple years ago. Two years, 2016. Yeah, 2016, and the hashtag was 2017, and now we're it's 2018, and we're all still... I mean, it's only a couple of years, which is no time in terms of the world, but it's still highly relevant, and we're, we as women are still dealing with these situations, and the solidarity is incredibly important. It was important then, and it's important now, so... Yeah. Um, thank you both so much for coming. I loved talking about the piece with the both of you and hearing your opinions. Um, Thank you for having us. I hope I can have you back soon. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So again, a huge thanks to Sonali and Sam for being on the show today. You can share your own stories through our website, metoomonologuesduke.org. And you can find the podcast through our website, SoundCloud, or even on the iTunes store. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Me Too is produced by Alison McHorse and Gabby Martinez-Mode, and the music for the podcast comes from Chen Shating. Thanks for listening. I'm Gabby Martinez-Mode, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Me Too. <laughs>